0: Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, as always, we've got a great program in store for today with our usual broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan. We're bringing back R.C. Merle this week, and we're going to
1: continue our look at Sound the Trumpets, Four Major Trends of Bible Prophecy. That's right, Jimmy. We're going to talk to Dave Dolan. Not only are we going to talk to him in our Middle East News update, but we'll talk to him a little bit later as he talks about his personal recollections with these four major trends, the four major trends that we talk about on this program quite often. But 25 years ago, when Dad put this book together, that was the focus of the book. And it is still today our focus as we examine current events in the light
0: of God's prophetic word. And we want you also to be able to hear What we use, because Bible prophecy is really for all of us, not just a few special ministries, it is for everyone to understand the times in which we're living. Well, we've got that in store on our program today, and I'm looking forward to our legacy series where Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, in our series of programs, he's following up on the book of Ezekiel, the alignment of nations, the anticipation for peace, and the
1: arrangements for the temple. Well, let's get started, Rick, with our first, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert in geopolitical affairs. He's a man of vast experience, an author, an analyst. You can find out more about him by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's a pleasure as always.
1: Well, Ken, in our geopolitical look around the world, we will start with the Russia-Ukraine crisis. So many things going on there right now, but a drone attack, a drone attack that might have originated inside of Russia is the big story. Can you tell us about that?
2: It's a very big story, Rick. And earlier this week, there was an attack on a Russian air base, the Sikov Air Force Base, just 38 miles from the Estonian border. Two giant Ilyushans were destroyed. This is the IL-76. It's their equivalent of the C-5 cargo plane. They were destroyed on the tarmac, and two others were damaged. And the Ukrainians have posted video of this that was taken apparently from one of the drones. It was confirmed by the local governor in that area in Russia. So there's no doubt that this attack actually took place. The questions involved, really where was the attack launched from the ukrainians are saying they launched these drones from inside of russia they said that they were using an australian quote cardboard drone this is uh, a small drone it can carry about six to eleven pounds of explosives and it's made of waxed cardboard so it will not be detectable by russian airports the thing is those drones have a maximum range of about 75 miles, which means that it would have to have been launched either from inside Russia or from neighboring Estonia since Ukraine is well over 500 miles away. Now, if they were launched inside Russia, Putin's got a security problem. If they were launched inside Estonia, NATO has a security problem. If this drone was launched from inside NATO territory, Putin is going to be tempted, sorely tempted, to launch some kind of counter against NATO territory. And I think the Ukrainians and the Russians have been relatively careful, but they've been playing on the margins. Just how far can they push the war before it gets escalated to a war between NATO and Russia?
1: And a war between NATO and Russia risk plunging the entire world into a war, doesn't it?
2: Well, that is the issue. That is exactly the issue. And uh, everybody, I think, is trying to avoid that. Uh, The Americans, uh, even the Biden administration, has carefully been trying to scale the escalation so it would not provoke Russia into a NATO-Russia conflict.
1: Well, as we look at this situation, we've talked about it before, this war has pushed Russia and Vladimir Putin specifically into the arms of its allies. We talked about them all the time. We talk about Iran. We talk about China. Another ally that's also a NATO member and their relationship certainly is complicated, but it looks like Russia's Putin and Turkey's Erdogan are set to sit down and talk.
2: Uh, they are. And it's to, essentially to talk about the grain deal that Erdogan helped to negotiate well over a year ago, a deal in which Russia would ostensibly lift its blockade of Ukrainian Black Sea ports, uh, Odessa in particular, to allow the export of grain. Remember, Ukraine is a huge grain producer. It used to be the granary of the Soviet Union. Now it's feeding most of Africa with its grain. And Russia, a couple of weeks ago, bombed the export facility right next to the Romanian border. This was a separate export facility where they were shipping grain by rail into Europe. And he is, at the same time, he declared he would no longer allow ships to leave from Odessa. So this is a vital geopolitical issue. It affects many, many countries around the world. And Erdogan, uh, as a neighbor along the Black Sea, remember, those ships would then be going to Turkey through the Bosphorus Strait. Erdogan has set himself up as the intermediary, and for once, he seems to be playing a positive role in world affairs.
1: Well, that's very interesting, and maybe I spoke out of turn, or maybe you could clarify for our listeners. Is Turkey an ally of Russia? Is Erdogan an ally of Putin?
2: What is their relationship? Uh, They have a good personal relationship, and the Turks have been very careful with their arms deliveries. They have uh, sent some Uh, drones to Ukraine, but they have not been a major, major supplier, especially recently. So at the very least, I think Turkey is looking to Russia for a kind of non-aggression pact. The two are opposed on the ground in Syria, so there's friction between them, but also cooperation. A long-term strategic ally, not yet.
1: Very interesting relationship, for sure. We will keep an eye on them. Well, let's move out of this European theater and let's talk about China a little bit. They have released a map. Beijing released a map, uh, including territory that the world doesn't recognize at China's. Can you talk a little
2: bit about this? This is an annual national map, is what the Chinese call it, and it shows really China's image of itself. This year, the map just released shows that they have appropriated parts of India in the Himalayas, they've appropriated parts of the Philippines and Malaysia in the South China Sea. And all of those countries have protested vigorously. Uh, but again, the importance of this map is it shows the way the Chinese communist leaders view the greater China. They've talked about it for years and years. They've said that they believe that China controls the South China Sea. But now we see that they're including that in their map. So I think it's a significant thing. Just wait till they include Taiwan. In the new national map.
1: Or who knows what else? Well, uh, this is all set against the backdrop. China's economy is really slowing down. Is this going to have any effect on either their international military ambitions or their communist leadership there in the country?
2: There are many economists who believe the Chinese economy is a ticking time bomb remember they had you know between 8 and 12% growth annual gdp growth for decades as they pulled themselves up from an agricultural economy to a vast export economy and now that has been slowing down china's industrial exports uh, electronics exports have been slowing down and so the economy is fueled now by the real estate sector. And there's been a big real estate crisis over the past two years since COVID really. Uh, And this is a big deal. Uh, The Chinese government has tried to refinance or some of these giant real estate corporations that have essentially shafted uh, purchasers. They they are required, Chinese citizens are required to pay upfront for an apartment before the building has even been built. Uh, So when they go bankrupt, when the companies go bankrupt, Those people are on the hook for the money that they've already put out. They pay a mortgage for an apartment they will never possess. Uh, So that's made individual Chinese very angry, a class of investing Chinese very angry. And it's also endangered the Chinese economy. Look, Rick, this is a government which has fueled growth through debt. China's national debt is now three times GDP. That is absolutely extraordinary compared to the United States. Our U.S. government debt is roughly one times GDP, uh, and that is high itself. China's is three times GDP. So I happen to agree that the Chinese economy is a ticking time bomb. Let's see how long it takes to explode.
1: Certainly something that could have a concerning effect in the rest of the world. Well, one final question. We have a short amount of time here, but I noticed that Iraq is trying to start up a civilian nuclear program. This comes on the heels, we've talked about it in the past, of Saudi Arabia, maybe making that a condition of their normalization process. All of these oil-rich Arab, predominantly Muslim countries in the Middle East, starting nuclear programs, which could turn into an arms race if they are allowed to be weaponized. Can you tell us a little bit about this and whether we should be concerned about it?
2: Saudi Arabia seeking nuclear power is one thing. Uh, They're asking that as a condition for normalizing relations with Israel. And the Israelis have not been completely against it. Uh, Ron Dermer, who I have met many times, he's the now the strategic affairs minister, he was in Washington recently, said, ah, let's see what happens. The devil is in the details. And that is exactly true. The devil is in the details. If the Saudis want nuclear power and they buy the 3% enriched uranium that they need to fuel the reactors and they sell it back to their supplier, by the way, which is exactly what Russia offered Iran back in the 90s, and they refused. So if the Saudis agree to those restrictions, there's not really an issue. But Iraq, Rick, when I saw this story that the Iraqi prime minister was talking about restarting a nuclear program in Iraq, I said, Good Lord, man, what planet are you living on? We fought two wars against Iraq. The world fought two wars against Iraq to defang their nuclear capabilities. Uh, the Iraqis still have scientists who know how to make weapons, they still have some equipment, not a lot. Most of that was destroyed by UN inspectors, but they certainly have the know-how to make the bomb and to think that you could go back just 20 years later after the last war and say, oh, it's okay now. Iraq is a completely new country. They have turned over a new leaf. They would never, ever think of cheating the way that Saddam did. Wow. Not in a hundred years in my book.
1: Certainly something to keep an eye on. Well, Ken, that's what you do for us. You keep an eye on all these stories happening throughout the world and help explain to us so we can know what's going on. We thank you for doing that. We appreciate you being on the program, and we
2: look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always my pleasure. God bless.
1: Ken, always
0: fascinating, and especially in light of Iraq, the headquarters for the Antichrist at the midway point of the tribulation period. Wow. we got to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan with our Middle East News Update, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
3: I'm Todd Morris with Mission Network News. Terror goes by a three-letter name in Central Africa, ADF. Based in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, this Islamic State affiliate claimed 55 deaths in the first two weeks of August. The group frequently targets Christians. Voice of the Martyrs Canada collaborates with partners in the DRC to offer hope through Theology of Persecution courses. Please pray ADF terrorists will be brought to repentance and salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Few things remain untouched when one country declares war over another, including Bible translation. When Russia invaded Ukraine last year, Unfolding Word had to rethink its Eurasia Gateway language project. Today, church-centric Bible translation continues in four former Soviet Union countries. Pray that believers can overcome every obstacle created by Russia's war. And learn more about Unfolding Word and the Eurasia Gateway language project at missionnews.org, the service of One Way Ministries.
4: call joshua travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com
1: welcome back to prophecy today radio the program that looks at current events in the light of bible prophecy This is our segment of the program that we call our Middle East News Update. We look at news coming out of Israel and around the entire Middle East. And to do that, we have our good friend, journalist and author, Dave Dolan. Dave, thank you for joining us.
5: Glad to be with you, Rick.
1: Well, Dave, we're going to continue the second part of a conversation we had last week, talking about the Sound the Trumpets book that my dad, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, wrote about 25 years ago. And you are giving us an update. We've broken that interview up into a couple segments. You'll hear it in the next half hour. We'll talk a little bit about the anticipation for peace, the alignment of the nations, the arrangement of the temple. So we appreciate you coming back in the second half hour to do that. But before we get there, let's talk about what's going on in Israel right now. And unfortunately, David, there have been more terror attacks. Can you let us know the situation in Israel?
5: Yes, Rick, three more incidents this week after last week's uh, two incidents. The most serious was the killing of an Israeli soldier. Actually, he was a new immigrant from Ukraine from the uh, Ukrainian town of city of Kharkiv and the uh, Israeli officials in the country had to inform his family of his death. They were still there. He was killed and five others were uh, wounded. One seriously when a Palestinian with a work permit came into the his workstation, picked up an Israeli truck with an Israeli license plate and used it to ram a Checkpoint near the Israeli city of Modi'in, between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, the dead soldier and two others seriously wounded were in an army vehicle. He rammed it and crashed through the gate. He was uh, then shot dead by other soldiers. And then there was a stabbing on Wednesday in Jerusalem on the light rail transport system. And that was another story of bravery, actually, because Palestinian with a long knife pulled out the knife and started to attack a couple that were sitting waiting for the train to come. And the uh, male in the couple kicked him uh, in several places uh, and uh, got the knife out of his hand down to the ground. And a. border policeman on the incoming train actually spotted this all going on. And as soon as the train stopped, he dashed out and shot the terrorist dead who had gotten the knife back in his hands and was apparently going to continue his stabbing spree. And then earlier, there was another attack at the uh, community where the woman who was killed last week lived with her daughter near Hebron. And that was stopped by soldiers at the scene who shot him dead, again a ramming. So we see a continuing stream of these incidents, and Prime Minister Netanyahu again convened his top security officials on Thursday after the soldier was killed to discuss this situation and its ongoing implications.
1: Well, David, we have talked about Israel's need to be vigilant inside of its own borders as we uh, unfortunately look at these terror attacks every week. They also need to be vigilant from threats externally as well. And one of those that has been heating up lately is to their north, Hezbollah in Lebanon.
5: Yes, we actually had the Israeli uh, Defense Minister Gallant meet with the U.N. chief this week at the U.N. headquarters in New York, Antonio Guterres, and the Israeli media reported that he warned Guterres that UNIFIL, the U.N. forces, which, by the way, received a six-month renewed mandate on Thursday of this week, uh, 13 uh, out of the 15 Security Council members voted for it, Russia and China, abstained. But he pointed out that UNIFIL, that force was supposed to after the 2006 war prevent Hezbollah from reestablishing a mini state in the south of Lebanon right along Israel's border and he pointed out that during uh, those intervening years, it has done so. I mean, the Hezbollah has set up a mini-state, not that the UN has prevented it. UN is basically, its forces are basically intimidated, Rick, if, if you want my opinion. I've been up there many times, and they fear Hezbollah as much as anybody does. They're pretty ruthless. Of course, they've taken over whole Shiite villages. They've taken over, uh, they've built new bunkers. They have underground weapons depots. And of course, they've been doing provocative acts, as we've discussed over the past couple of months, right along the border including setting up a tent near Hardo that's actually on Israeli territory, even though the border fence was placed inside of Israel a little further south of that. And that's a very provocative act. That tent is still there. They've been doing open patrols along the border. They're not supposed to be doing that, according to the U.N. resolution that ended that 2006 six-week war. So Gallant warned that the UN has to step up here, that Israel will have to take action if that doesn't happen, and he said, we don't want to. We want to abide by international rules. We want this ceasefire uh, agreement to hold and this UN resolution to hold but uh, we don't see, frankly, you doing enough to enforce it. So um, a little bit of a rebuke to Guterres and, of course, a warning. Uh, He also said that war is being pushed by Iran, and he mentioned that they're funding Hamas and Islamic Jihad and uh, that they have forces in Iraq and in Syria and that, you know, Iran is pushing for a war in the region and that Israel just can't sit back and wait for that. And by the way, Rick, the Hezbollah leader on Monday commemorated the end of that war in August of 2006. They call it Victory Day by saying the Israelis have become extremely weak, their army is falling apart, they've lost their will to fight, and all sorts of other such statements. Of course, he's talking about the judicial reform protests, and it is true that some fairly high-ranking ex-officers, reserve officers, including the head of Northern Command, have made some pretty strong anti-government statements, have warned of a dictatorship, and all of this sort of thing coming, but that's, of course, by far the minority of anybody in the military and certainly active military members and I can uh, tell that's if he wants to listen to this report that the Israeli military is ready to fight if it has to and it has not fallen apart.
1: They certainly haven't, and I'm sure they will be prepared, but we've talked about external threats, we've talked about internal threats, we've talked about political turmoil. Against this backdrop that we've just been discussing right now, these normalization talks have been taking place. The U.S. has been pressing Saudi to normalize ties with Israel. So many facets, including this week, the Palestinian Authority pressing for concessions on their end if this normalization is to happen.
5: Well, yes, Rick, this was the concern of many Israeli leaders uh, over this new U.S. push, is that the Palestinians would see it as a back-channel way to get the concessions they want from Israel. And they're a little bit concerned because, of course, the Biden administration is not nearly as pro-Israel as the Trump administration was. Although, of course, they would like to see normal relations with Saudi Arabia. Prime Minister Netanyahu's made that clear many times. The fact is, on the ground, there is pretty normal relations relations, uh, quiet ones. But it's been working. It's been expanding and growing. And even this week, we had a dramatic example of that. We had an Air Seychelles aircraft taking Israeli tourists from that beautiful Indian Ocean uh, island country back to Tel Aviv. And the plane had an electrical malfunction, 128 Israelis on board over the Red Sea, and they had to make an emergency stop in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Well, that's the first time Israeli visitors have officially been in uh, Saudi Arabia in that capacity. So uh, they were nervous, but the Saudis treated them well, took them to a hotel. The people said some of them even were able to speak some Hebrew to them. And so the relations are actually pretty good, but if the Palestinians get their way, they want to use the Saudis in these negotiations going on with Washington's sponsorship to get concessions. They want uh, Israel to move out of more of their territory. They want an end of all settlement construction, uh, expansion entirely, and various other things. So the Israelis are not uh, very thrilled about that. And in fact, the finance minister, Hazel al said we will give them no concessions in these indirect talks. That's a fiction. If they want to talk to us, we're ready to talk face-to-face, but we're not going to do it you know, in a back-channel way. So we'll see whether this affects relations with the Saudi Arabia and Israel that are, as I said, basically there already. We'll have to wait and see. Meanwhile, we had the Israeli foreign minister announce this week that he had met in private, secretly, with the Libyan foreign minister, Najla Mangosh. In Italy last week, and they discussed the possibility of normalization. We have to point out Libya is divided between two governments, one backed by Russia in the East and one more pro Western in the West. He was meeting with the pro Western foreign minister. Well, she was forced to resign when the story uh, was leaked in the press. Well, it wasn't leaked in the press when Ellie Cohen, the foreign minister, made an announcement that this meeting had taken place. And Axios reported that Washington officials were very. Very upset over this. They said, you know, this was supposed to be in secret and you've just blown your chances for any progress there. So there's uh, two steps forward and three backwards, it seems, in this whole continuation of the Abraham Accords process.
1: Well, David, so many things taking place in the Middle East, so many things taking place in Israel. Thank you for all you do to keep us informed of what's going on in that part of the world. We look forward to talking to you again in the next half hour as we talk about the four major trends of Bible prophecy. Thanks so much, David.
5: I'm looking forward to that too, Rick. God bless.
1: Well, we've got to take a
0: break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation about Sound the Trumpets the four major trends of Bible prophecies. Rick, the way that you and I, David, we look at Bible prophecy, it helps us to focus on the nations that are involved. We'll be right back in one moment.
3: I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Niger isn't just in political crisis following the power grab by the military junta. It's now an economic crisis. Before the coup, Niger had over 3 million people in acute food insecurity. That number will undoubtedly go up as sanctions hit and food aid piles up at Niger's borders with no way in along with distributing their solar-powered audio Bibles. World Mission will be getting food and water to those suffering. Please pray for comfort and provision. North Koreans know they can't rely on their government to help them. Eric Foley with Voice of the Martyrs Korea says that since the Great Famine in the 1990s, those who trusted North Korea's leadership have suffered greatly. Some rely on the black market to buy medicine and food, but North Korean Christians have seen God perform many acts of healing over the years, and their church has grown as a result. Please pray this growth would continue. Dodd Morris, Mission Network News, the service of One Way Ministries.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung,
3: Jr. Along with Rick,
0: we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, we're gonna continue our conversation with David Dolan and kind of a walk down memory lane over the years of what we have established, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung established, the four criteria, the four major trends of Bible prophecy. Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people, the alignment of the nations, anticipation for peace, and the arrangements for the temple. Rick, we've got David Dolan standing by to continue our
1: conversation about these trends as we watch them unfold in the past. Well, that's right, Jimmy. David has agreed to come back and talk to us a a little bit. Now, we are looking at 25 years since Dad wrote his book, Sound the Trumpets. And essentially, we're looking at four trends, four major trends that were setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David has agreed to join us to talk a little bit about these trends. David, thank you for coming back. Glad to be with you. The next trend that we looked at is the alignment of the nations. Now, we already, and you have already talked about uh, the nation of Israel being formed, and there were many nations that were instrumental. God used many different nations, the United States included, the UK, to help bring the Jewish people back into the land and to set up the Jewish state. But if we study Bible prophecy, and this is another reason we use you so much, David, because not only do you have the historical and the political perspective, but you're a student of Bible prophecy as well. You've written several books on the subject. You've spoke on the subject. So you're able to uh, look at it from all the different angles. But with your time there in Israel, living in the Middle East and uh, not just Israel, but elsewhere in the Middle East as well, you uh, you were able to observe things taking place with these different nations. Now, uh, Bible prophecy tells us of many things that are going to happen, most of these things taking place after the rapture of the church, things that are going to happen, and we keep an eye on them because it lets us know where we stand on God's timeline. But as you have been able to watch what is taking place in the Middle East, give us an example of how these nations are, are aligning to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled?
5: Well, Rick, it's interesting. In 1982, when I moved to uh, South Lebanon, well, I lived in northern Israel, but when I began working uh, daily in South Lebanon, crossing the border, uh, I mentioned that earlier the Soviet Union was strongly backing Syria in the uh, conflict with Israel that year. And we, frankly, I watched those air flights overhead, Russian pilots involved, etc. Uh we frankly thought this is the precursor of Gog and Magog, that uh, you know this may be coming at any time. And uh then uh, the Soviet Union fell apart and later a man called Vladimir Putin became the leader of Russia, no longer the Soviet Union. It had lost many of its Uh, participating countries. Well, they weren't participating. They were forced to, but Poland and the East European countries and others, and they had reverted to the West and were looking westward. And it uh, seemed like maybe, you know, their war against Israel had ended and Putin was pretty pro-Israel, frankly, uh, had good relations with most of the Israeli leaders. Uh, They were continuing to allow uh, Jews in the former Soviet Union that wanted to move to Israel, make Aliyah, immigrate uh, to do so. And uh, so that seemed to be off the table. Well, here we are now in today's world with, once again, Russia showing intense hostility to Israel, uh, backing Syria in the last 10 years, especially the last five militarily in the internal war there, uh, bombing the northern city of Aleppo. And et cetera., and being very involved against America there, which of course was fighting ISIS, so we see this uh, east west conflict once again full center, and meanwhile uh Russia has uh, Putin as allied very closely, as we've discussed many times on this program, with iran, Iran, of course, ancient Persia which is listed as one of the participants in the uh, final Gog and Magog battle against Israel. So they obviously have become a major enemy of of Israel. And, you know, when I moved to Israel in 1980, it was just one year before that the Iranian revolution took place and Ayatollah Khomeini came to power with his anti-Israel views. So it wasn't clear at that time that uh, they would maintain power over Iran, but of course they've done so. They now are one, as you said earlier, one of the strongest military powers in the region. They continue to build up their Navy, their Air Force. Of course, they've uh, set up this militia. I was there on the scene in South Lebanon, uh, the Hezbollah militia set up in 1982, in fact, the first ever suicide terror attack that Iran sponsored took place just about a mile from where I was, where a uh, an Arab wearing a heavy uh, garb uh, but with explosive vest on was uh, riding a donkey and rode it past some Israeli army soldiers and blew himself and them up. So that was the first uh, suicide attack uh, sponsored by Iran. We've had, of course, many, many more since then. And we've seen other pieces of the puzzle. Libya is said to be part of that alliance. We've seen uh, Gaddafi overthrown, and there's a civil war going on there now with Russia very much backing one of the sides. The U.S. very concerned over that. We see Sudan having a civil war now. They are listed uh, uh, as one of the participants in that final battle, and again, One of the sides they're fighting right now is a pro-Russian, backed by the Wagner Group, especially, which Putin needs their fighters, not only in Ukraine, but in North Africa and other areas where they're active. So we continue to see these pieces fall into place, Rick, and we report on them as news events, you and I and your brother and your late father did and others knowing that these are the precursors of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, along with, of course, the continuing immigration and other things. So it's exciting, it's disturbing, but it's ultimately a confirmation that the Bible is the word of God, that the prophets We're speaking on behalf of the the creator of the universe who knows all things in advance, knows the end as well as the beginning, and has revealed quite a bit of that to us in the scriptures, and we're watching it unfold today.
1: We certainly are, David. And I'm so glad you characterized it like that, because this is not just a a variety news program. We're not just picking stories that we are interested in or have a curiosity in, but we are actually looking at stories. We are students of Bible prophecy, and we are looking at stories that help us to locate where we are in Bible prophecy. And also, as we see these things coming together and you see that divine hand of God working in it, you get a sense of comfort, a sense of peace that comes from understanding that this is all part of God's plan. And as we look at what's taking place around the world, it could be easy to be uh, dismayed by what's taking place, but as you said, this is confirmation that God's plan is in effect. Well, the third trend that we looked at is the anticipation for peace. We look, especially in the book of Daniel, it says that there will be a peace treaty on the table. The peace treaty will not necessarily be working, but it says it will be confirmed by the Antichrist. So we look at these signs, the talks of peace that are taking place in the Middle East, and you have certainly seen reported, witnessed, Many things taking place in Israel with peace with their neighbors. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
5: Well, Rick, when I moved to Israel in 1980, the Camp David Peace Treaty had just been signed, uh, as the name implies, at Camp David under President Jimmy Carter, bringing uh, a formal treaty between the Arab world's largest country, Egypt, and Israel. That still remains in effect today, although it's uh, shaky. It has been shaky over the years, but it's still there, and that was the cornerstone of all other developments since then, being that Egypt was the cultural leader in the Arab world, the largest country by far in the Arab world, and the dominant force, really. We've meanwhile had the 1994 peace treaty between Jordan and Egypt, again American-sponsored, this time under Bill Clinton. That was right after, in 1993, the Oslo Peace Accords were signed between uh, Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin on the White House lawn. Of course, we've mentioned many times that treaty hasn't held up hardly at all, and really in 2000, Arafat tore it up, essentially— when um, he complained that Ariel Sharon had visited the Temple Mount, and this was a desecration of an Islamic site, and the second Palestinian uprising broke out, and there was fighting between Israeli forces and PLO forces in the streets, along with a lot of other clashes that were taking place. But it was sort of rescued after that by, uh, again, another administration under George W. Bush, and it... uh, is more or less in effect between uh, Abbas, the current Palestinian Authority leader, and Israel. There's still security cooperation between the two sides, and Israel still collects taxes for the Palestinians and hands it over to them and that. But, of course, in the meantime, Iran got involved and sponsored the Hamas revolution in the Gaza Strip in 2007, and there's no peace at all between Gaza and Israel, but still in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, it's in effect. And then, of course, the Abraham Accords have brought several other Arab countries into that uh, peace circle, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and we, of course, are talking about uh, Saudi Arabia. A lot of ties uh, are actually in place already between the Saudis and Israel, and the uh, now the Biden administration is trying to formalize that part of it so um, we see that we're moving still towards that uh, peace that is prophesied in the scriptures. It has bumps and starts, and of course, Iran is not going to be part of that. They're going to be part of the Gog and Magog attack in the end and some of the other Arab countries. But I've pointed out Jordan and Egypt uh, are not listed as uh, allies of Russia in that uh, final battle. So I think those peace treaties will hold, and in the meantime, we'll have, like you said, a more formal treaty, it seems, that involves other countries. doesn't look at it at the moment, but that's what the scriptures indicate, and uh, there are, again, these pieces that are moving us towards that.
1: Certainly are. Well, David, our final trend that we look at, and this is something that maybe back when you moved to Israel and uh, you would never have realized how far we have come along on this this scale here, it's the arrangements for the temple. And uh, we look at the focus of the world on the Temple Mount there in the city of Jerusalem, and we see maybe ever so slowly a shift in the Israeli body politic, a shift to uh, being willing and open to allowing or having more of a Jewish presence on the Temple Mount. And uh, of course, even from the very beginning, you had those that are committed to rebuilding a temple, this temple, the temple that we know that will stand during the tribulation period. But uh, this is certainly another area where you can kind of monitor the progress of where we are and how we are progressing towards Bible prophecy being fulfilled, isn't it?
5: Well, it is, Rick. We, you know, have to keep in mind that Judaism's holiest site on earth by far is Jerusalem. Hebron is considered the second holiest site. Of course, the uh, tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs there uh, nearby Bethlehem, uh, where uh, Rachel is buried as well. But Judaism's center is Jerusalem, and the center of Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. There's no question about that. Islam claims it as their third holiest site, although there are actually, Rick, 13 equally holy sites, according to Islamic scholars, several of them in Iraq, uh, several others in Saudi Arabia, Mecca, of course, being their holiest site on earth, where the Kaaba stone is and where the annual Hajj pilgrimages take place. Muslims are not obliged to go to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is not even mentioned by name once in the entire Quran, although they say it's implied where it says Muhammad took a night ride on his uh, flying horse and went to Al-Aqsa, which is called the farthest, is uh, Arabic for the farthest place. And they later assigned that to Jerusalem, mainly because, of course, they understood that this is Judaism's holiest site. It is Christianity's uh, holiest site, even though some might say Rome, some might say Salt Lake, or a few other places. But basically, Christianity Center is, of course, the city that Jesus taught in, uh, the disciples uh, were there and of course more importantly died in and uh, more importantly rose from the dead in and equally important rose to heaven from the mount of olives with the angels saying to the disciples why are you looking up he's coming right back to this place in the end days right back here so we look for that so it is the holiest place and of course many jews would like to see the temple rebuilt in 1967, there was a dispute between Moshe Dayan, the senior commander of IDF forces at the time, and others about whether it should be taken over by Israel formally. They weren't going to ever kick the Muslims out, but that they would declare Jewish sovereignty, in other words, over the Temple Mount. Dayan opposed that strongly, as did many other more left-wing and liberal members of the government. And so it didn't happen And ever since then, Jews have been very restricted in even going up there. Uh, Ultra-Orthodox Jews mostly will not go up there because they don't want to accidentally walk over the site of the Holy of Holies, which of course was all destroyed, the Second Temple, as was prophesied by Jesus and others, but they know approximately where it was, as they believe, and so they're not supposed to go up there at all, but many, and as you said, an increasing number, a growing number of what we call modern Orthodox Jews, Jews that. Uh, don't uh, wear all black and are, you know, not so segregated. This is Ben Gavir, this is Smotrich, the uh, government ministers we've been talking about, and others have been strongly advocating the rebuilding of a third temple and, at the very least now, the freedom of Jews to go up there. And this year we had 1,700 Jews on a religious day go up there in one day. That's a record since 1967. But we recently had the son of the most senior commander in the IDF, General Jor Weinberg, Colonel Jor Weinberg, I should say. His son went up there and said the Shema prayer, which is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one God. And he was arrested and hauled away Uh, by Israeli police, I should say. They arrested him. And that's because they're always worried about the Muslim reactions. And we hear from Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Iran and there's all the time that the Israelis are storming Al Aqsa and they're somehow going to destroy the Al Aqsa Mosque and the next day build a temple. Well, it's not quite like that, by any means. And to be fair, a good portion of Israelis don't want to see a temple rebuilt up there. Uh, I would say many of the people uh, protesting the judicial reforms would say that, and uh, mainly because they say this will lead to a regional war with all the Muslims and and a war with the Muslims all over the world. And, you know, Israel is a tiny, relatively speaking, Jewish state and can't really take on Indonesia and Pakistan and other, uh, you know, much larger Arab uh, Muslim countries. So there's a division there, but we are seeing the move towards interest in a Jewish temple uh, being rebuilt there grow. And I suspect, and the scriptures indicate That will continue.
1: Well, David, thank you for taking a look back here. Now, again, I was talking about my dad, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's first book, Sound the Trumpets. It's uh, basically four major trends that are taking place in Israel and in the Middle East and in the world that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I know, David, you being in Israel in the early 80s with Jimmy, uh, as you guys were there together reporting on all things, maybe you didn't realize what you were seeing, but as you get to look at it in retrospect, you were watching not only history in the making, but you were watching Bible prophecy being fulfilled And as I said earlier, from your perspective, as a student of Bible prophecy, not just a student of history or politics, but you have a grasp of all three and you're able to uh, help us keep track of what's going on. And so we have just been so uh, appreciative of your insight. Thank you so much for coming uh, on today and talking about this. And uh, we will continue to look forward to hearing from you as you keep us updated on what's going on in the Middle East.
5: Rick, I've always said there was no better place on earth for a reporter who was also a Christian to be reporting on than Israel, that it's been a joy. And your late father shed a lot of light on that as well, your brother Jimmy and yourself. And God bless your work and may it continue under his guidance and authority.
0: David, we do have that advantage of looking down through the corridor of time to see how God had placed all of us in the right spot at the right time to record prophetic history taking place and uh, four major trends of Bible prophecy. It's a great book. And we're going to follow that up this week as we looked at the alignment of nations, the anticipation for peace, and the arrangements for the temple. And I'm going to follow it up with another aspect. R.C. Murrell has got to come back because last week Ken Timmerman talked about bricks. So this week, R.C., welcome back to the program.
6: Thank you, Jimmy. Good to be with you.
0: R.C., there has been a lot of activity happening since the news broke last week that BRICS nations, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, have agreed to expand their membership to include the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. What can you tell us about the global reactions?
6: Yeah, Jimmy, I'd like to first maybe recap that expansion because it went a little further further. Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates will join the BRICS nations in 2024. Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Iran will join in 2025. And when that happens, the BRICS will then control 80% of the world's oil and 50% of the world's food supply. Ironically, the reaction to the BRICS expansion is reminiscent of the first news about central bank digital currencies that your dad asked me about in 2020. Mm. At that time, COVID was dominating the news cycle so that not a lot of people even noticed. And the ones that did pretty much brushed it off as a non-story. Which makes you think, RC,
0: where COVID's coming up again. You know, like they're trying sleight of hand tricks to get us distracted. Yep. I remember those broadcasts. So what interested you about CBDCs back then?
6: You know, ever since 2009, in the advent of Bitcoin, I was curious if crypto might have a uh, relation to the cashless society, Revelation 13, 16, and 17, and the Mark of the Beast. But Bitcoin was more of an anti-government fiat currency movement, Mm -hmm. whereas central bank digital currencies would have real power to change the world to cashless because it would have the full support of governments. So now we
0: have five countries, soon to be seven in 2024, And 11 in 2025, those countries will control up to 80% of the world's oil. And that may also have the ability to issue a currency that would rival the
6: U.S. dollar. You know, and add to that, Jimmy, just one year ago, Jay Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve, actually said, and I quote, it is possible that the world could have more than one reserve currency.
0: So with all that, why is the world skeptical of the potential for the BRICS to pressure the dollar?
6: You know, the common criticism is that with China taking the leadership role of the BRICS and a currently weak yuan, only included in 5% of global transactions, a combined BRICS currency would not have the strength to rival the dollar. However, what is not considered by the skeptics is that the U.S. is operating under the modern monetary theory, advocating that printed unlimited money will not harm the dollar's world reserve status. Jimmy, while the U.S. dollar is still the strongest global currency, it has an exploding national debt, and with Saudi Arabia joining the BRICS, the petrodollar arrangement could shift. If the petrodollar fails, so does the U.S. dollar. The threat to the dollar became very real with a financial headline on March 15, 2022, and I want to quote. It says, petrodollar cracks. Saudi Arabia considers accepting yuan for Chinese oil sales. Jimmy, one of the core staples of the last 40 years and an anchor securing the dollar's reserve status is a global financial system based on the petrodollar.
0: Mm. You know, RC, you probably need to explain this more for me and I know a lot of people probably don't understand how does the petrodollar work?
6: Yeah, it's said that when oil producers like Saudi Arabia sell oil to the world, they get paid in US dollars, not in their own currency. The term petrodollar just reflects that the dollar is the principal means of exchange because it is the principal currency of international trade and finance. So the petrodollars are then reinvested into other dollar denominated markets, and that backstops the dollar's world reserve status. And there's a second possibility for, for the demise of the dollar the rapture of the church mm-hmm. from the world's most Christian nation would so weaken the U.S that the balance of economic power would change instantly. Mm. Europe, which is currently the world's third largest economic bloc, would then become the second largest economy behind China. And since Europe is the prophesied origin of Antichrist, from Daniel 9.26, a Western alliance of nations with a powerful world leader will one day dominate the global economy.
0: Well, the anticipation for peace that we have been focusing on in the four major trends of Bible prophecy, and that's how we understand and we focus on these nations. And uh, Ken Timmerman, again, reported on the economy of China today. That's why we focus on these folks, and that's why we have RC. Well, the article you sent me, Central Bank Gold Demand Hits Record High, U.S. Petrol Dollar on Deathbed. So what will happen to the price of gold?
6: You know, that's a hard one to tell. Uh, Over the past two years, massive fraud of, of precious metals prices from the world's biggest banks has been reported. On August 4th, 2021, a Merrill Lynch unit was convicted of fraud charges for manipulating precious metals futures. Mm -hmm. On August 10th, 2022, J.P. Morgan, Bank America, Merrill Lynch, and Deutsche Bank were accused of price manipulation of precious metals. So the question, Jimmy, is the price of gold being held down so that central banks can get all they need and buy? On our website, Prophecy Tracker, we borrow an adage from Colossians 2.17, Prophetic events cast a shadow before them, and the cashless society and a new economic system are coming into view.
0: R.C., we're right on the cusp of this taking place, and um, I I know the urgency I hear in your voice, which you shared with me before we went into the interview here, uh, that BRICS is a major, it's a big deal, and it's a very big deal. Uh, How do you see us moving forward? And I like what you said, you know, if the rapture of the church takes place the United States could implode on itself and the shift of the balance of power will leave the United States and go to Europe, which then sets right. up for the Antichrist, the a world leader to come on the scene to bring this all together. Is
6: that what you see? It's exactly right, Jimmy. I mean it, we, it all comes back to Daniel nine twenty six that we've known we know from all for twenty five hundred years that when when the final prince, as he called the Prince to come He he will come out of the revived Roman Empire. And this is setting up perfectly now for Europe to be the host nation that will bring him on the world scene.
0: It sure does. It sure does. R.C. Merle, give us your website once again. ProphecyTracker.org ProphecyTracker.org And folks, I would encourage you. R.C. and I were just talking about an event that could happen very soon by Google that will limit people's ability to go to websites like R.C.'s and myself. We're going to do a program on that in the future. But R.C., I sure appreciate you being with us here today. We're going to put these articles up on our website, as we always do, and we encourage folks to go to R.C.'s site, RC. People might see a little bit different website when they go to your website.
6: Yeah, Jimmy, because of some some, uh, uh, so we call it some discouraging uh, communications from some folks. For people to read all of our website uh, information, they're going to need to just give us name uh, and and email or address and, and just sign in with us.
0: RC, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: Great to be with you and our listeners.
0: Well, we need to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung in the Legacy Series. Dr. DeYoung will be focusing on the four major trends of Bible prophecy from the book of Ezekiel, the last chapters of Ezekiel, and how it fits into our timeline of today. That's coming up right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, we've been talking about the four major trends of Bible prophecy, the book, Sound the Trumpets. Where can
1: people find this book? Well, Jimmy, we have it on our website. If you go to prophecytoday.com, you'll see this book along with other books on Bible prophecy. We have the the book on Revelation, the book on Ezekiel, the book on Daniel, the three main books of uh, Bible prophecy. But Jimmy, if you want to get this book, Sound the Trumpets, or we've talked a lot about the arrangements for the temple that is to come. And that was the subject of a documentary we did, Ready to Rebuild. And, of course, we updated that documentary called Ready to Rebuild Revisited. Those are some of the things that you can use to further your study about what we're talking about today. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. If you call us, Jimmy, if for a donation of any amount, we just want to get this material in your hands. So if you call us at 423 for a donation of any amount we'd love to send you the book sound the trumpets as well as that video for a donation of any amount you name it sounds like a good deal to me huh jimmy
0: it does and that's a
1: great addition to any
0: bible study library and uh, we would love for you to get that thanks rick that's a great opportunity for people today if they don't have that already Well, interestingly enough, Rick, as we put together the program, we always revisit the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father. On this week's study of God's plan through the ages, and in particular, how the prophetic book of Ezekiel fits into the overall picture of God's plan, we're going to conclude and include the portion of the book of Ezekiel today and remind you of the timeline. That looks at the end time scenario from the rapture of the church into eternity future. Then we'll look at what happens with the alignment of nations and when they will attack the Jewish state of Israel. It's going to be very near the beginning of the tribulation period. We will also take a look at the scriptures that describe the temple that Jesus Christ will build on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. That's where he will rule and reign for a thousand-year kingdom. Something very special on the broadcast today, we'll hear an interview that Dr. Jimmy DeYoung had with a rabbi that was the head of the Sanhedrin, that group of 70 wise Jewish scholars that will manage the temple compound. This rabbi also was the very first one to receive his priestly garment. You don't want to miss this interview, but first, let us begin today's study by learning of God's
7: roadmap through the end times. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Now, I put this up here, these three items. This is the rapture of the church, the next event on God's calendar of activities. This is Revelation 4.1. Then there's 16 chapters of detailed information in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 19. 16 chapters, detailed information about a seven-year period of time. Chapter 19 is the return of Jesus Christ back to the earth. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, is the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Chapter 20, verses 11 to 15 in the book of Revelation, is the great white throne judgment. The third of the three major events, the rapture, the return, the retribution. And then chapters 21 and 22, new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem. What we're gonna see happen to start the clock ticking, and we studied it in our last session, the Antichrist confirms a peace treaty. I showed you the peace treaties are all on the table. I believe those are the table of the uh, peace treaties that are not normalized, not working, are going to be confirmed by the Antichrist, and that starts the clock ticking on the seven-year period of time. It is when that has happened when the Jews believe their Messiah is here, when their supposed peace, albeit it's a pseudo peace, they then will lay down their weapons. The Messiah's come. He'll protect us. We no longer need our weapons. And that's when the alignment of nations come in. When they have laid their weapons aside, when peace, when they are dwelling safely in the land, that's when they come in a anticipation of peace has got the jews excited but still concerned there's a third thing that's going to happen when you go to chapter 40 and read and i'm not asking you to do this right this minute but read chapters 40 to 46 you'll find 202 distinct passages of scripture detailing the establishment of the messiah's temple look up here just a moment In this thousand-year period of time Jesus Christ is going to build a temple that's found in Zechariah 612 he will rule and reign from that temple forever that's Zechariah 613 in Ezekiel 40 to 46 202 detailed passages of Scripture dealing with how that temple is going to be what it's going to look like what the size of it is what's in it what's not in it there's never been a temple Ever in the Jewish world like the one described in Ezekiel 40 to 46. There's going to be a temple there. But I've got to tell you something. There's going to be a temple here, too. At the midway point of the tribulation, a temple which will be in the city of Jerusalem. Because the Antichrist, the major player in the seven years, will walk into the temple. I've just produced, our son Jim and I just produced a documentary, the latest information of how that temple in the tribulation period is ready to be built on the Temple Mount. Many things pertaining to that. Twenty-eight thousand men studying the priestly duties for the last twenty-five years. They're all ready. They went out to Jericho. They put up two size, special, specific size, an altar. They've been doing hands-on training to do the sacrifices. They have raised sheep without blemish, without spot at Jericho, so they can have the hands on experience. They have all the harps, 4,000 harps have been made. That's what King David called for, for the Levites to play when the temple was up. They know where the Ark of the Covenant is. The Bible tells us, 2 Chronicles 35, 3, exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is. All of these things have been prepared. I want to show you the man who started all the study for these men to do the priestly duties. I walked into his yeshiva one day. He was at his computer. He said, I have 28,000 men on this computer. All are priests, and they've been brought to Jerusalem to study the priestly duties. When I got to him, I said, Rabbi Kahana, I understand the Sanhedrin has been reformed. Notice what he says. Several years ago, I know on the shores of uh, the Sea of Galilee and Tiberias, they reformed yeah. those 70 men together who were known yeah. 2,000 years ago as the Sanhedrin. Yeah. Am I correct? You were a member of the Sanhedrin, were you not? I was not? of it. You were the head of ahead. it. And are you still involved?
8: No, not involved anymore because they were not as proactive as I thought they should be. They didn't deal with issues which I thought were very important and became sidetracked on issues which are of secondary importance. And since life is short and we have to live every day to its fullest, I didn't want to waste my time on things which I thought were not so important. But uh, the idea remains to renew the Sanhedrin is certainly uh, in itself a great idea because for all Israel, as it was renewal, in the renaissance of the Jewish people back in Israel, if I'm not a member of it, uh, we can carry on. Life will carry on after a long time. I won't be here and all kinds of things. I watched them well, but it was not, as I said, not as uh, ag- aggressive is too big a word, proactive as I would want it to be.
7: Indeed, what he just said was he stepped out of the leadership of the Sanhedrin, and the reason that happened, the Sanhedrin have elected him to be the high priest in the temple, standing on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. I asked him about his priestly garments. No. I also did notice that uh, at the Temple Institute, they have some garments that have been made mm-hmm. and there was a picture in Roots 7 mm-hmm. of you being fitted
8: mm-hmm. for a garment. Yes. Uh, the garments have been made for the men who... Mm-hmm. Garments are... have been made, fitted and ready for, for use. You. It's in my closet and I'm waiting. We don't, I don't touch it, I don't take it out. My time comes it's like when I used to go to the, the army, used to go to reserves. Yes. I had my uniform in the house. You no know uniforms, right? Yes. These that with them. And uh, I'll be or won't be if I don't wear it. My son will wear it.
7: So the priestly garment that it was fitted for you, yeah. hanging in your closet in your home. Yeah. I asked the rabbi, did he believe that in his lifetime, since he is the man to be the high priest, all the preparations have been made to build the temple, would the temple be built? Here's what his response was. Do you believe that we, you and I, are living in that time when the temple will stand in Jerusalem?
8: I, I think I, I, I feel I'm going to see the temple. Things are going to happen so quickly. You see, God works in lurches, in, and then there's time spans of nothing happening, and then there's a lurch of his doing. Mm-hmm. We're like in the now a little bit. But we all feel, at least in Israel, on the theme of history, something's happening. It's not a stable world. Something's going to happen. It can't, it can't last much longer as it is today with the economic turmoil and, and the social, political turmoil in the world and religious turmoil and with the movement of Islam all over the world. something is happening. And what happens is going to happen very quickly and very dramatic. And I, I have a feeling inside Inside that I and you know, he'll be
7: around to see it. A feeling inside, he'll be around to see it. That's an Orthodox Jew speaking, and understanding what he is saying is exciting to me because though he's a lost man, he's describing what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel is going to happen and in the book of Daniel. One last chapter, look at chapter 35 just very quickly. In chapter 35 in the book of Ezekiel, it's among a message. Of restoration, the last 16 chapters. But here's a message of retribution. Notice what it says Moreover, the word of the Lord he came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out my hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate, and I will lay thy cities waste. Verse 5. Why are they going to be judged Mount Seir? Because thou has had a perpetual hatred and has shed the blood of the children of Israel. Look at verse 10. Because thou has said, these two nations are mine. In Ezekiel 37, verses 15 to 23, it tells us in the passage that there's going to be two Jewish states in Israel in the near future. Israel and Judah. In my briefcase right there, I have the constitution for the state of Judah. It's about to appear. Who is Mount Seir? If you study the 36th chapter of the book of Genesis, you'll see after two twin boys had grown up, had some battles, were living together in the land. The two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is allowed to stay in the land that God promised to his father and his grandfather. Esau went to a place to live called Mount Seir. That's modern day Jordan, that's Edom. That's where Petra's located. That's where Esau went to live. Esau became the Edomites. The Edomites were the family of Herod the Great. They changed their name to Idumeans. Herod the Great was an Edomite. The Palestinian people today claim Herod the Great. The Palestinian people will rise, kill the Jews, and take the land, which is what they're doing. We're here. Everything I've just told you happens after the rapture. We're here. We're in that time period. I go on the Temple Mount and teach Ezekiel. Nobody's had a camera to teach ever on the Temple Mount. I go inside the Dome of the Rock and show you where Christ will rule and reign from. It's the center of the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were created. I go to Petra. I deal with Esau and the Palestinians. I don't want to leave you with just a bit of information. I had to quickly go through this time period. I have a five-hour series on the book of Ezekiel. I have also a five-hour series on the alignment of the nations. I believe that these things will help you to understand we are in that time, and the rapture precedes all of it. That's where we are. As we've studied Ezekiel today, I'm sure that you recognized the geopolitical events of our day are in line with the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy for the end of times. Each of us must study God's Word to understand why world events are happening as they are today. And when we do that study, we can determine how close we are to the rapture of the church, you know, I realize that the rapture, when Jesus shouts for each of us that know Him as Lord and Savior to be called up into the heavens with Him, that this rapture can actually happen at any moment, even today. Keep looking up, my friend. It could indeed be today. Next week, we'll continue our study of Bible prophecy. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the
0: Legacy Series. Well, we got to take a break, and when we return, Rick and I will take a look at the book right here,
3: On Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Todd Morris with Mission Network News. Terror goes by a three-letter name in Central Africa, ADF. Based in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, this Islamic State affiliate claimed 55 deaths in the first two weeks of August. The group frequently targets Christians. Voice of the Martyrs Canada collaborates with partners in the DRC to offer hope through Theology of Persecution courses. Please pray ADF terrorists will be brought to repentance and salvation through the power of the Holy Spirit. Few things remain untouched when one country declares war over another, including Bible translation. When Russia invaded Ukraine last year, Unfolding Word had to rethink its Eurasia Gateway language project. Today, church-centric Bible translation continues in four former Soviet Union countries. Pray that believers can overcome every obstacle created by Russia's war and learn more about Unfolding Word and the Eurasia Gateway Language Project at missionnews.org, the service of One Way Ministries. Just how
4: close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8Prophecy8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, what a great program today. And especially I liked following up
1: on our four major trends of Bible prophecy. Certainly have. Jimmy, you look at those four major trends. We've talked about them on last week's program. On this week's program, we talk about Aliyah, the Jewish people. We talk about the alignment of the nations. We talk about the anticipation for peace. And finally, the arrangements for the coming temple. And Dave. Dolan, a man who uh, had a front side seat to history, was able to share his recollections. But Jimmy, in all honesty, uh, your first time to Israel when you lived in Israel was in the early 80s, right? So you've had that same exact front row seat to both history, but also, more importantly, Bible prophecy being fulfilled, haven't you? You're exactly right, Rick. When I
0: moved there in 1984, I lived in the old city, with the former head of the government press office under Menachem Begin, his name and his family, Morty Delinsky. We all saw through Operation Moses, through Operation Solomon, the return of the Ethiopian Jews. Uh, David and I were both there when Natan Sharansky came into israel the first russian refusenik he was traded at the border in a midnight event that took place they flew him landed him in tel aviv we were all down in tel aviv seeing the the first of this russian land at tel aviv airport from there they ushered him to the western wall i was there rick when and i'm sure david was too there were so many people there As all of the people of Israel that made it to the Western Wall with this young man, as he came in, later a former minister of the government, but he was there dancing, people were doing the Jewish dance around him, all the men were gathering arms, they were singing and rejoicing, and really this was the start of the fall of the Soviet Union. And then years later, all the Russian Jews that came from the north and many Jews returning through Aliyah to the land of Israel. So you're exactly right. Ezekiel 37, the vision of the valley of dry bones coming together. The final aspect of that prophecy, Rick, will be... When God becomes the God of the Jewish people, Jesus Christ will become their Messiah. He breathes life into the Jewish state, and that's when Israel will be saved in a day, the life of them coming back together again when Jesus Christ will rule and reign in the city of Jerusalem in
1: in the millennial period in the future. So
0: yeah, we've been there, Rick. We've seen it.
1: We certainly have, Jimmy. In fact, I remember a little bit later on, I was there after the fall of the Soviet Union, and these Russian Jews coming back into the area, I remember, Jimmy, we used to be on Ben Yehuda Street, and you would find these classically trained, you know, they came out of the Soviet Union, they were classically trained uh, violinists and and musicians, and they were there on Ben Yehuda Street just playing for a few shekels in a cup, and it was tangible evidence of those Jewish people coming out of the north, like Jeremiah said, coming into israel the aliyah well jimmy we move on from there and the alignment of the nations the next major trend and we have talked about this for many many years and it looks like these pieces one of the things we always say is it's like a stage uh being set the actors are getting into place and soon the curtain is going to come up well jimmy these actors that are getting into place the things that are taking place right now we talked to ken timmerman today about what's going on in russia and china all of these pieces are falling into place aren't they They
0: sure are. And that's why. That's how we're able to focus on these nations, Rick. And each week when we talk with Ken, we're focusing on the nations that are listed in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83. I believe all of those passages are about nations that will join in in the attack and the alignment of nations on the Jewish people. And we're sitting really right on the edge for that to take place.
1: The anticipation for peace, the third trend that we watched, Daniel 9 says that there's going to be a peace treaty on the table that needs to be strengthened or confirmed. So maybe peace treaties that aren't necessarily working, that are normalized. Jimmy, we talk about peace going on right now in the Middle East with the Abraham Accords. We talked about that with Ken And with David today, these things are continuing to happen. But you look back at Israel's first peace peace partner was Egypt. We talk about that in the book. But then the Jordanian peace treaty that was signed there in the Aravat Desert. You were there, weren't you? Yes, uh, dad and I and mom actually went down there. We
0: were there. uh, All the journalists of the world, Peter Jennings, Tom Brokaw, all those men were there as we saw the signing take place. There are three peace treaties, Camp David Accords, the Oslo Accords, and the Israeli-Jordanian Peace Treaty, and none of them are working. And so you're right, Daniel 9 talks about a confirmation of a peace treaty,
1: and that's what starts the seven-year period of the tribulation. Jimmy, we're running out of time, but we'll just talk quickly about the arrangements for the temple. This third temple that is going to be in the city of Jerusalem during the tribulation period. The Bible says that it has to be built. Well, Jimmy, there is evidence everywhere that uh, this temple is getting ready to be rebuilt. Many things taking place back in the 90s when we initially did this, but it's, it's progressing. And we talk about the Temple Mount all the time on this program, and we talk about the Jewish presence on the Temple Mount as it continues to grow, and the collective thought amongst the uh, the Jews in Israel that, you know, maybe it is time for a temple.
0: Yes, you know, and on the Legacy Series today, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our dad, and he had this unbelievable ability to go and meet with the people. He had Bible studies with men that were involved in doing all the preparations of the utensils and the garments and every item uh, he used to meet with these men in a Bible study Haim Richmond and then of course Nachman Kahana who we heard on the program today He was a gentleman that was fitted with the first priestly garment If he is not the priest the high priest his son will be and so we have seen the Preparations and the arrangements for the rebuilding of the temple But that's a temple that will stand during the tribulation period. That's not the temple that Jesus will build this temple is is the one that the Antichrist will set up the abomination of desolation, Rick, where that takes place at the midway point of the tribulation period. And I think we can always say when we focus on these events, it just gives us an understanding of how we understand if we're so close to rebuild that temple, how close that we are to the rapture of the church, the Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people, the alignment of the nations the anticipation for peace, the Antichrist, a worldwide system of evil that takes place on the world, and then the arrangements for the temple to be rebuilt. Rick, great job on the program today as always. Thank you for making us aware of events that are taking
1: place and examining them in the light of God's prophetic word. Excited to do it, Jimmy, as we continue to look for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Folks, with everything that we've seen
0: today... We can't help but say the rapture of the church could happen in the next
4: moment. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.